The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. family here today. Uh, Could you guys wave? That's all of them. Unequivocally, without equivocating, I blame them for everything. So if you have a problem with me, now's your chance. Go take it up with them. (laughs) We are uh, having a look at the faithfulness of God today. Darren gave me a couple of different uh, opportunities to choose. A Sunday and choose a topic, and I picked this one, uh, uh, and I immediately went to 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, so I promise this is the last time I'm going to ask you to stand today, but I would invite you to stand with me one more time as we read God's word this morning. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great truth that you are constant and trustworthy and dependable and faithful under all circumstances. Even, Lord, when your people are not faithful, you are faithful to us. I ask you to bless this time, bless this message, open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll notice the if and then clauses in this uh, entire passage of Scripture, if you die, then you will live. If you endure, then you will reign. If you deny him, then he will deny you. This if then would be very familiar to a Jewish person in the first century because this is a covenant kind of formula. If you do this, then I will do this. If this, then that. This is covenant language. Can't be mistaken for anything else. There's uh, some debate as to what this was. He says this is a trustworthy saying. Uh, I tend to think that it was just an original composition of Paul, that he was saying, here's a trustworthy saying for you. Here's a, here's a proverb from me, the Apostle Paul, to you. Others say it's an early, early hymn of the early church, that this was something they would have sang in their meetings together. But nonetheless, this is covenant language, and it couldn't have been mistaken for anything else but God having a covenant with his people that if you do this, then I will do that. It would be very familiar. If you look at Exodus 19.5, we see an if and then clause. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possessions among all the people. What's the storyline here? What happened in Exodus 20? Anybody, any Iwana's people in here? What's Exodus 20? 
the Ten Commandments, right? So God says, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, keep my covenant. When was the covenant given? Exodus 20. He lays out the law. He lays out the law of Moses. He gives the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You'll make no graven images. You'll keep the Sabbath. Down the list. And then he spends the next 11 chapters all the way through Genesis 31, laying out the law, the things to do with the temple, the things to do with sacrifice. And he gives them this law. And Moses comes down the mountain, and what should he discover? They've made a golden calf. How far did they get? In 11 chapters of commandments, how far did they get? They didn't even get to the first one. They'd already broken the first commandment before Moses even comes down from the mountain. So Moses, of course, who we know had a little bit of a temper, uh, I can relate to this. He smashes the tablets. He's infuriated. Israel was faithless right out of the gate. Israel was a faithless people. God is saying, I am making this covenant with you. If you will do this, then I will do this. I will make you my treasured people among the nations. And they can't even get past the first one. So Moses intercedes for them. And he says, Lord, if you would forgive them, on what basis should God forgive them? And in Exodus 34, he decides, okay, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to renew this covenant. This is what Matt just read for us. I'm going to renew this covenant with him. Get more tablets. I'll do it again. I'll give you a do-over. And on what basis does God say he's going to forgive them? Because he's the Lord, and he is faithful. He is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. It's in his nature. God shows faithfulness because he is faithful. Nothing else, nothing prior to that, nothing in addition to that. He is a faithful God, and he will be faithful to his covenant. So speaking of covenant language, we've talked about these if-then clauses. There's two words that occur over and over throughout the Old Testament, and they are loving kindness and faithfulness. The word are actually chesed and emet. You may have heard the name Emmet. It means faithfulness. So if, you, if anybody knows somebody named Emmet, they're faithful, supposedly. <laughs> Chesed va'emet. Chesed va'emet. The psalmist sings the praises of the Lord for his loving kindness and his faithfulness. And when God delivers the covenant, when he, when he renews this covenant at Sinai, they should have been struck into the ground right then and there, but God renews it with him. He says, on what basis? It's because I have covenant loyalty and faithfulness. And these words appear all throughout the Old Testament. If you could scroll, I think I've uh, printed out, this is Hesed. I think these pie charts are cool. Um, I told Darren that I'm a redneck nerd, and so... I have this conflicting personality that I'm, I'm, I'm a real big nerd. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I read the Bible in a simple way nonetheless. And you can see that it has this long range of meaning. Hesed, kind, kindly, kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, good, loyalty, mercy, merciful, favor, deeds of steadfast love, or just love. And it's translated in our English Standard Version, steadfast love throughout. But I think it carries this idea of covenant loyalty in it. I think covenant loyalty, you can't just take one word and make it mean one thing all the time. The context determines the meaning. But it's about covenant loyalty. It's about covenant keeping. And where you see this word between two people is like with a marriage contract, with a marriage covenant. And this idea of a contract, steadfast love between two people, this chesed has to do 
with not breaking that bond of that covenant. Emmet is trustworthiness, constancy, duration, faithfulness, even just truth. You know, we live in a world where truth is malleable. Truth, it's your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, whichever truth you want. It's, it's movable. The only absolutes, there's no absolutes. But no, truth carries this connotation of, of, of duration, steadfastness, unchanging. Truth does not change. This idea of faithfulness does not change. It's constant. But what I really want to take out of this, this word, this word study, or really it's the phrase, chesed va'emet, is that God is a, is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his covenant. And we see throughout the Old Testament, it is the story of God being faithful and Israel rebelling, and God being faithful and Israel rebelling, and God being faithful and Israel being faithless. When we get to the prophet Hosea, God commands Hosea to go to the house of whoredom and marry a whore because my people have whored after the false gods of the Baals. There's no PG-13 way to say this. I should say that was the PG-13 way. There's no PG way to put it. Go and marry a whore because my people are whoring after other gods. And he says in Hosea 4.1, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. There is no chesed. There is no emmet. Now in relation to the people, they have none. So God's going to bring them under judgment because of their rebellion. They have been absolutely faithless. And he's comparing them to this faithless wife of Hosea, Gomer, who goes back and chases after all of her lovers. And God says, take her back again because I am a faithful covenant-keeping God. You are faithless like a faithless wife. But I keep my covenant. So Israel's a faithless wife, a harlot, a prostitute. But this idea of of God's covenant loyalty. This is what we mean by God is faithful, is pictured in marriage. You know, Ephesians 5.32, he says, this is a profound mystery that, that marriage relates to Christ in the church. Throughout the Old Testament, this idea of a, of a marriage covenant. You can't keep one half of a covenant for the other person in a marriage. This is the funny thing about this covenant. I can't keep the marriage covenant on my wife Andrea's half, and she can't keep it on my half. She can only keep her half of the covenant. How many broken homes and broken marriages do you know where one, one party in the marriage says, I want to make this happen. I want to keep this covenant. I want, to, I want to make this work. I don't want to break this thing. But the other party says, I want nothing to do with this. And now you have a broken home, a broken marriage. Because it takes two to tango, right? It takes two to keep the covenant intact. And I want to focus on this idea of our faithfulness and the expectation and the demand throughout Scripture that we be faithful people. We know we are called to have faith. We know we are saved by faith. And trust me, I'm not going to diminish that one iota. But what does it mean to be faithful? Let's start with this analogy. What does it mean to be a faithful employee at your place of work? I remember when I was working maintenance at Lake Williamson Christian Center 
in Carlinville, Illinois, and I'm sure that you can't imagine me entertaining people with a bunch of anecdotes. But uh, I had gathered quite a crowd at this point telling pretty good story, I might say. And uh, I had probably 10, 11 people now standing around. We're leaning on the sawhorses, and I'm pontificating about, uh, I think I killed somebody's dog when I, was house, when I was babysitting their dog one time. And I think I was telling that story. I had their undivided attention. And who should walk in? Kenny, the boss. Here comes Kenny, and everybody gets back, and now we're working again, you know. And <laughs> that was not being a faithful employee, right? I was not being diligent. I was not on task. I was off task and distracting others, which incidentally is what every report card I ever had in grade school said. <laughs> off task, distracting others. That's a faithful employee. But what does it mean to be a faithful husband now? And this analogy is biblical because we have this idea of Hosea and Gomer. And she was a faithless wife to Gomer. Sexual immorality must be expunged from the church. See, we're really hypocritical because we will shake our fist at the gay rights agenda. And yet, if the internet browser history of some of your computers was put up on this screen for us to look at, you'd be ashamed. We have to purge sexual immorality. And that's just not for the married. It's for the unmarried. Sexual immorality is not to be tolerated at all. And Christ raises that standard so high that we could never even meet it. If you even look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. That's how high the standard is. So at the most basic level, when we talk about fidelity in marriage, faithfulness in marriage, it's that idea of the intimacy between a husband and a wife that is only shared between them, not shared with anyone else. But that's the most basic thing. What does it mean even further than that for me? If I say I am a faithful husband, it means more than just that I don't go chasing around town, right? It means much more than that. It means I'm a presence in my home. It means I have dinner with my kids. It means I pray with my family. And let me be honest, I have failed in myriad ways in that department. What does it really mean for you to be a faithful husband today? And I know I'm picking on the guys, but that's because I am one. And guys are like thermoses, so you can throw them around a little bit. I got five daughters. They're like crystal goblets. My dad used to flick me in the back of the head. He'll deny it. Uh and I tried that once with one of my daughters. <laughs> That'd go over so well. It wasn't very effective. Only tried it once, though. What does it mean to be faithful? Here's another one. I think that New Testament ethics, I think that your being an ethical New Testament believer is summarized in two things, sex and money. Now, we live in a world that's obsessed with sex and money. But the way you handle sex and the way you handle money almost define, almost encapsulate all of New Testament ethics, if you think about it. We, we're not supposed to add a bunch of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, a bunch of rules and regulations to live, put us back under a law, under works of law. But how you handle sex and how you handle money. So let me ask you this, Christian. How faithful are you with your money? I have to admit, I haven't been on a written budget for like two years. Now, that has to do with my particular station in life, living off of a fixed amount of income for a duration of time. 
And I have to say this, that's not sinful. I, it's not unfaithfulness that I don't have a written budget. However, I can't tell you if I'm faithful or not because I don't have a written budget. Some of you have so much debt, you could work for five, six years and give all of your income and not pay it off. We have to be faithful people with money. What does it mean to be faithful with money? And don't get me wrong, we could fall into to dead works very quickly. We're to be generous as well with our money. We're not to make all we can, can what we can, and sit on the can. Maybe I don't have you caught up in this little net that I've set for you. Maybe you say that I am perfectly faithful in those areas. That's exactly what the Jews thought. They really thought that they were keeping covenant with God. In fact, this is the whole purpose of the book of Romans. You know, many of you might have been taught in Sunday school that the book of Romans is structured so that the first chapter is God's imputation of the whole world. The second chapter is God's imputation of the moral Greek. And then the third chapter, now he's going to impugn the, the Jews. But the Jews think they're exempt in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And let me tell you something. All of the language from chapter 1 and chapter 2, faithless, hopeless, heartless, ruthless, this is all covenant lawsuits from the Old Testament against the Jewish people. They think they're not in there. And finally, Paul has to make it extremely clear. You are caught up. You're caught in this trap. They thought that they were faithful to the covenant of God, but they were not. Romans 3, 1 through 4, he just talked about the works of dead law. What advantage is the Jew or what the value of circumcision? What much in every way? To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Now this is perplexing, because I just spent some time talking about our obligation to faithfulness. Our obligation on the other half of the covenant. God's absolutely, we would all agree, God is absolutely going to keep his half of the covenant. Nobody would argue with me about that point. And we have a half of the covenant reciprocally that we are responsible before God to make. But the basis of God's faithfulness is himself. He swears by himself. He doesn't need anything else. He is faithful. Your faithfulness cannot nullify the faithfulness. Your faithlessness cannot nullify the faithfulness of God. Let God be true, though. Every man were a liar. We saw this in our own passage. He cannot deny himself. The basis of his faithfulness is himself. It is in his nature. He is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. We saw it in Exodus 34. Why should he forgive him? Because he's a forgiving God. Because he's faithful to his covenant. And the Bible is full of promises to us. Romans, the book of Romans alone is full of so many wonderful and rich promises. And what good are any of them if God is not faithful to keep his half of the covenant? What about Hebrews 13.5? Anybody know Hebrews 13.5? Uh, Though I will never leave you or forsake you. What if God didn't keep that promise? If God wasn't faithful, that promise has no value. I will never leave you or forsake you. God promises that to you, Christian. It has no value if he's not a faithful God. 
Revelation 9, 7 through 8 talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It says that this bright and pure linen uh, is the righteous works of the saints. How can God be so sure about that? How can God be sure that we will even have righteous works? It's as if God is upholding both sides of this covenant. It's the only way that he can really guarantee it. He swears by himself, I'm going to uphold my part of the covenant. But he makes all these rich promises that we are going to be presented pure and blameless before him. How can he guarantee that? How can he uphold my side of the covenant as well as his side of the covenant? That's not how a marriage works. We've already discussed that. But this is how it appears in Scripture, our covenant with God works. Nothing can change the faithfulness of God. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He remains faithful to us. He sustains the marriage. It will never be broken because he is faithful. How can he uphold two sides of a covenant? Back in Genesis 15, the original covenant that God makes with Abraham Abraham goes and he cuts an offering into pieces. And he makes this covenant with the Lord. And it says that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. But this model of dividing an offering in two halves comes from suzerain vassal treaties of the ancient world. And it was very common. Say that I was a farmer or maybe I was like, you know, a, a, what would be a, like a lord of some, uh, of some property, and I had a big farm and a lot of people working for me, a lot of people depending, but I needed the protection of a king. I might go to that king and say, listen, I will offer you my allegiance if you will offer me your military protection. I'll offer you a portion of my crop if you will offer me your military protection. And so they would make this treaty, and the, and the suzerain, the king, would, would make this person cut a sacrifice, and then that person would walk through the middle of the halves. And the point was, this splitting in half of this animal, this is what I'm going to do to you if you break my covenant. This was a suzerain vassal treaty. But the vassal would break the halves. The vassal would pass through the pieces. What we see in Genesis 15, 17 is very peculiar. It's very strange, almost esoteric, that a pot of fire passes through the pieces of this covenant sacrifice. What does that mean? This is the very Spirit of God. God himself passed through the pieces of the covenant with Abraham. God himself walked between the halves and said, I will put my life down for this covenant. I will guarantee this by my life. This is the opposite. The roles are reversed. God is the, God is the king. Abraham is the vassal. But God passes through the pieces of the offering because he will uphold the covenant on his life. And we see this reiterated again and again in Genesis 22. Abraham offers Isaac up to God as a sacrifice. But the angel Lord stops and says, no, the Lord has provided a sacrifice. How can God uphold both sides of the covenant? 
How can he guarantee that this marriage covenant cannot be broken? Because he will uphold his side, absolutely. But he has made a way to uphold our side today. Romans 3, 23 through 26, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've all been faithless. Romans 131 includes faithless in the list of condemnation towards you. Faithless, heartless, ruthless. And you're justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The propitiation, now that word is the very reason why we put the ESV in the Pew Bible at this church. That's the number one reason to choose the ESV for family devotion is a lot of these contemporary translations have taken that word out. A propitiation is an abatement of wrath. It is that the wrath of God is poured out on this sacrifice. And Jesus Christ was that propitiatory sacrifice. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness at the present because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. How can God uphold two halves of a covenant, not just his half, but our half? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The basis of God's covenant keeping is himself. It is in his nature, but he has upheld both sides. He has been faithful even when we are in fact faithless. Second Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He swears by himself by his own nature and he upholds it by the gift of his son. Now, there is only one type of person for whom this message has no hope. If you honestly look at me and say, Blake, you know, I've been pretty faithful. I'm a pretty faithful guy or gal. I'm walking pretty upright. I'm doing a pretty good job. You're like a bride whose wedding gown is covered in filth. Covered in sewage. For you who would say to me, I am faithful. I am the paradigm of faithfulness. You didn't catch me in any of your snares. I'm faithful with sex and money. I'm faithful. I keep the Ten Commandments. You become like the publican in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So for you, there, this message is not a hopeful one. You're sowing condemnation onto yourself. 
But perhaps you say that like our passage says in 2.11, I've died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Any, any righteous thing that might come out of my life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit and His activity in my life. You're trying. You're failing. This message has hope for you. God is faithful. He's going to keep you to the end. He's going to present you unto himself a pure and spotless bride. Finally, maybe say, no, I've never died to myself. I'm living my own way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm living for myself. And for you, there's great hope today, brother or sister. There's great hope if you say you've never died. You could be crucified with Christ today. Trust in him. Put your faith on his sacrifice, not on your righteous works, which are filthy rags, but on the one work of Jesus Christ, who died to absorb the wrath of God in your place. I'm going to ask Darren to come forward, ask the praise team to come up. And we're going to close. We serve a faithful God. And I appreciate Blake sharing that. And uh, uh, there's so much that could be said on this. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, the, the greatest need that you have is to know this faithful God. And we believe it's not by a church membership or by a baptism or giving money. It is by God's faithfulness to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. That's the God we serve today. And we want that to be the message that we have. So if you're here today and you don't know what that is, what that means if you were to pass away today, as unfortunate as that would be, would you know where you are headed? Not just to get out of fire insurance, but do you know the God who created you, the faithful one who will hold you, Blake spoke of? If you're here today as a Christian, you want a prayer need or want to talk about membership or something, please come forward. This time, we're going to go ahead and stand up. And Blake, uh, thank you. Uh, we're, thank you for your message. Thank you for sharing. And uh, Blake, I'm going to turn it back over to you.